Hannah Adams was diagnosed with a Wilms tumor when she was five and a half years old. And after surgery, chemotherapy, and radiation, has been cancer-free for the past 13 and a half years. On today's podcast, Hannah will discuss her cancer battle and what she has done since to become an amazing advocate in so many ways for the cause of pediatric cancer. Her first accomplishment was to become the youngest captain in the state of Florida for the American Cancer Society's Relay for Life when she was eight years old, and when she was 12 years old, became the national youth ambassador for Hyundai Motors, which is a company that works diligently for children with cancer, as she visited 40 hospitals in 26 states. There are many more accomplishments that this now sophomore at the University of Alabama will talk about, including her being voted as Miss Florida's Outstanding Teen in 2019, which was followed later by her being voted as Outstanding Teen by the Miss Americas organization. Hannah is currently Miss Birmingham, which is the third largest city in Alabama. I hope that you will enjoy this podcast. It is now my pleasure to introduce Hannah Adams to my listeners and welcome her to my podcast. Thank you very much for joining me. It's a pleasure to have you here. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. Well, it's uh, uh, very exciting to have you. Now, I recently published a podcast with a young woman named Sonia Kulkarni, who was a senior in high school. And I kept having to remind myself that she was not an adult with many years of experience in the world, as she had already accomplished so much. And uh, in reality, she wasn't even in college yet. The same thing applies to you, as you've accomplished so many things in the world of pediatric cancer, among other things already. And, uh, And that you are, in reality, just a sophomore at the University of Alabama and just getting started, even though your resume is well-established. So congratulations on that uh, for what you've done uh, for 19 years. Thank you. Thank you. It's It's been so much fun. And I think about all those amazing opportunities. And with that, it's really testament to just, um, you know, people willing to give me a chance and setting your mind and doing something. Well, it's great that they've given you a chance and you've taken the advantage of every opportunity you've had. Now, your active life, to be putting it mildly, really got going uh, at the ripe old age of three years old when you started dancing, and which I know was a passion of yours. You became a classically trained dancer. Did your classical learning begin at that age and can you tell us about your experiences dancing uh, in uh, Radio City Music Hall with the Rockettes and your dancing career since then? Oh, my goodness. I love dance. It's I've been training, um, you know, since I was three years old. So for the past 16 years and 
Uh, even at three years old, I would go watch Swan Lake or the Nutcracker with my mom and watch the Prima Ballerinas perform. And I knew that it was something that I would absolutely love. And, and with dance came so many amazing friends and mentors and knowing what it's like to put in the hard work every single day. There were some days where I'm like, oh, I don't want to put on my tights in a leotard and have to go practice this uh, dance solo. But I would get up. And I would go and it would be the best decision. And uh, my time with Radio City Rockheads, it's a pretty cool story. So I was up in New York City for a Hyundai Hope on Wheels event, which is a non child and cancer nonprofit um, I've had the opportunity to work with. And my sister, Haley, and I had always dreamed of seeing Radio City Music Hall. And so we found out that you can go and train with the Rockettes for a day, be a Rockette for a day. And so we walk in and we put on our tap shoes and we learned the iconic kick line from the Rockettes among many other dances. And then we got to tour Radio City Music Hall. And that was such an eye-opening experience, being able to meet so many of the incredible young women who are part of the Rockettes. And I don't know, who knows, maybe we'll end up in New York one day to train with them again. Uh, but also dancing has led me to perform in the Miss America organization. Part of that is having a talent and I'm a contemporary point dancer. I, I love ballet. I call myself a, a bunhead. So I knew that I wanted to perform a contemporary point dance when it came to competing in the Miss America program. So dance is a major constant of my life. I love the performing arts. It's truly impacted everything that I do. Now, your pediatric cancer journey started early as well as your dance career as you were diagnosed with a Wilms tumor, which is a form of kidney cancer. When you were five and a half years old, you went through surgery, radiation, 28 chemotherapy treatments or 28 weeks of chemotherapy. What, if anything, do you remember from that period of time? You know, even though I was young, I remember, I think the major key moments, waking up from surgery, learning how to walk again from surgery, getting needles poked in my body every single day. I had to go to the hospital, getting my pick line out. Uh, there's certain moments that stick out in my mind. I think the greatest one um, was when I had to learn how to walk again after my surgery. I didn't want to learn how, how to walk again or just live life normally um, after my surgery. I wanted to sit in my bed, watch Hannah Montana and eat pancakes as a six-year-old. Uh, but my nurse, Anna, who was actually a childhood cancer survivor, came down. And she said, hey, Hannah, there's an art project going on down at the cancer board. You should get up and go check it out. And after some convincing, I decided to you know, grab my, my Kibo pull and and mosey up enough energy to go down and see this art project. And it was a city that all these kids were building and I got to contribute to it. And so that's what got me to start walking again. Um, and that's just one of the many moments that really stick out to me from my cancer journey. And it's just a testament to, you know, people encouraging you and um, finding strength in really difficult times. Now you've been cancer free, thankfully for 13 years. Do you still need to go on occasion for scans and checkups? Or are you now past that uh, stage? 
So I still have to go for yearly cancer checkups and my home hospital, it's not where I was treated. I was treated at MD Anderson, but now I go for my yearly cancer checkups at Arnold Palmer Children's Hospital in Orlando, because that's where um, a lot of my extended family still lives. And uh, I love to go there and see my doctors, but they have to do a heart check. Um, They have to do an ultrasound. I meet with my nephrologist and they just make sure that I'm I'm all good that my well-being that I'm staying healthy. Well, that's certainly of course great news. Now, when was your first foray into the world of pediatric cancer from an advocacy position? How old were you at the time and what did it entail? I was 8 years old. I started really young and it's crazy for me to think back on that because I have a little brother who eight, who's eight years old now. And I'm like, wow, how was I doing this when I was his age? Uh, but I first became involved with the American Cancer Society in Marco Island, Florida, which is where my family and I were living at the time. It's in Southwest Florida. Um, and I heard of an opportunity called Relay for Life where different teams compete to be a top fundraising team. And um, it's a super fun event. And the community comes out and you're able to raise all this money. And they said, we need a speaker. And I had never spoken in front of a major audience before um, in front of all these adults. There were not many kids there, but I was invited to speak at a fundraising event. And that's what really catapulted me into advocating for people who were now battling pediatric cancer, cancer in general. And, And from that led me to doing news interviews and being on the radio and Um, You know, being the youngest team captain for Relay for Life in the state of Florida, eight years old. And one of the things that we love to do when raising money, we would do lemonade stands in our neighborhood. Two little girls, my sister and I, we would do lemonade stands and then we would knock on people's doors saying, hey, would you want to donate to to cancer and, and help raise money for research? And people would instantly say, yes. I mean, how can you not for two little girls? And so we were able to raise um, $15,000 in our very first year, which was absolutely incredible. And it's just continued to grow since then. Well, it's great to hear. Now, that, my next question was going to be, what was it like being the youngest team captain uh, for Relay for Life in Florida? And did you a- have any responsibilities outside of the lemonade stand? And were there actually people on your team that reported to you? Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, the team was mostly made up of my family, but we had some great neighbors and friends who decided to join in. Um, And outside of the lemonade stands and raising money, uh, we would host restaurant benefit nights to help raise money for our team. Uh, I went into a couple of schools and shared my story to get my fellow students involved. And then um, on the Relay for Life Dave event, I had to plan different activities that people would do at our tent. I think we had, um, we did like a gift card raffle and that sort of thing. It's so it was a lot of planning. I'm really thankful my parents helped me out some, uh, but I've always been someone who likes to be organized and and get things done. And so I think that that experience at such a young age, seeing the impact that you can make, is really what has changed my entire life's trajectory. Uh, I can imagine that it has. Now, you became an ambassador for the Gold Together for Childhood Cancer Initiative, which is run by someone I consider to be uh, iconic in Laura Eicher. It's under the umbrella, obviously, of the American Cancer Society, which also runs the Relay for Life, as you had mentioned. How old were you when you became an ambassador 
uh, for that organization. And can you talk about that nonprofit? Oh, they're incredible. I love the Ikers. And uh, I've, I, you know, I had been involved in the American Cancer Society, but never from a standpoint that was solely focused on childhood cancer. Um, and I was at CureFest in Washington, D.C. in September of 2017, which was when uh, the hurricanes came and came into Florida. And so we had asked the Ikers, hey, can you take a family picture of us? And they and we said that we were from Florida. They said they were from Florida. So we instantly bonded over the hurricane thing. And then uh, they told us about the work that they were doing in piloting the Gold Together initiative for Relay for Life through the American Cancer Society. And they asked if we would want to have a Gold Together team. And so what that would allow us to do with our Relay for Life's team is make all that money solely go towards pediatric cancer. And that had been the thing that I had been searching for for years. And so my team was able to become a Gold Together team, raise money for Gold Together. But from that, I was able to become an ambassador for Gold Together. And so I got to speak at American Cancer Society events, advocate with Gold Together when it came to different pieces of legislation. And that's what's led me to now serve on the National Advisory Council for the American Cancer Society Childhood Cancer Initiatives and oversee the advocacy side of things when it comes to our Gold Together ambassadors and getting other kids to have those same opportunities. And so I'm just so grateful to be a part of Gold Together and really excited for what's to come. We have so many amazing plans for this new year, and it's just an honor to be a part of it. Well, you yourself raised $50,000 for gold together. You've also helped on their champions campaign where I believe there's been over a million dollars raised. So uh, you've already done quite a bit, but you say that 2023 uh, perhaps is going to be even more than uh, you've done so far. Mm-hmm. I'm so excited. It, it's really um, something that I'm really excited about is working with the ambassadors that we have. We have over 30 of them throughout the nation, and they range from childhood cancer survivors to siblings to students who are just wanting to get involved in the cause who may have no personal connection to it, but now they do. And uh, we have different training sessions on how do you go about sharing your story? How do you reach out to different legislators to say, hey, can I meet with you and talk about this? Um, It's really about connecting people with those opportunities so they too can make an impact and make a difference. I I think back on being eight years old when I first got involved in this cause. And so often I think that I would kind of doubt myself and be like, how do I have a seat at the table? I'm only eight years old, 13 years old. Um, And so I want every young person to know that they too can make a difference and, you know, use their voices and that their opinion matters too. And so that's what the ambassador role, I'm so excited about working with them and equipping them with every knowledge that they need. So if my math is correct, you were 13 years old when you became an ambassador for, uh, for Laura and her organization, but you were 12 years old in 2016 when you became the national uh, uh, net national youth ambassador for uh, Hyundai Motors, their America's uh, Hyundai Hope on Wheels program, and I know that uh, up up in Massachusetts here, Hyundai is a huge um, uh, advocate for pediatric cancer. They sponsor many many events. Can you talk about you know, the forty hospitals in twenty six states that you visited and what you did? Uh, as far as helping to raise hundreds of thousands of dollars uh, in money for research grants, along with presenting these grants? 
And remember, you were 12 years old when you started this. Yes. So um, I applied to be a Hyundai Hope on Wheels National Youth Ambassador um, in seventh grade. And I applied, didn't get back for a couple of months. And I was like, mm, there's no way I got this. Like, this is this is a really this is a really big deal. And my mom walked into my classroom with all my friends and she said, Hannah, you're the Hyundai Hope on Wheels National Youth Ambassador. I selected you and Ryan Darby, who's still one of my dear friends, uh, to, to serve in this position. And from that phone call, two weeks later, Hyundai Hope on Wheels came to my house to film my story. And then we were flown out to Fountain Valley, California to visit the Hyundai headquarters where I addressed all of Hyundai Motor America uh, from a national standpoint and then international standpoint because their headquarters are in South Korea. Um, And that was a pretty pinch me moment being 12 years old. And those opportunities from speaking at headquarters to speaking at the New York City Auto Show and having a billboard in Times Square and meeting with legislators in D.C., they were just such unforgettable opportunities. But with those big events came being able to visit the hospitals. And so something that Hyundai Hope on Meals does is, is their focus is mainly on Uh, providing research dollars for researchers who are doing life-changing work to find a cure for children battling cancer. And so during my time as the ambassador for two years, I traveled to all those states and visited the hospitals and I would share, I would get up and I would share my story. And then we would have a handprint ceremony. Hyundai Hope on Wheels motto is every handprint tells a story. And so you would paint my hand, we would paint all of the kids' hands, the researchers' hand, and we would put it on a white Hyundai. And then they would drive the white Hyundai to the local Hyundai dealership and they would put it on display. And so with the sale of every Hyundai, a portion of that sale goes directly back to Hyundai Hope on Wheels, and that in return goes to childhood cancer researchers. So by me sharing my story, by the Hyundai being in the dealerships, that's what helped us raise the millions of dollars over the two years that I was the ambassador. Um, And I think my favorite part of that role was really getting to connect with the families and the kids and say, hey... I've been where you are right now. I know what you're going through. And that's led to so many uh, wonderful friendships. One that really sticks out to me is my friend Riley in Maryland, in Baltimore, Maryland. I met her when I was 13 years old uh, as the ambassador was visiting Johns Hopkins, doing a handprint ceremony during September for Childhood Cancer Awareness Month. And she got up as a patient at the at the ceremony and started sharing her story. And she talked about this girl named Hannah. And I don't think I realized for the first five minutes that she was talking about me. And she kept talking about how, you know, Hannah is what led her to want to continue dancing during her childhood cancer treatment, what led her to want to share her story that day. And that's when I realized that she was talking about me. And I don't think that I had had an experience beforehand to see that you know, what I was doing was really making an impact on these kids because that's my end goal. You know, raising money, that's great. Advocating, that's great. But the connections with the kids and helping them through that, building those relationships, that's what I, that's the, that's the goal. That's what I want to do. And so hearing from her, that, that was such an amazing um, experience and memory that I'll always cherish. It's an incredible story and one that, uh, 
uh, is is something that you'll, of course, remember for for many many years to come uh, uh, for the rest of your life. I made a mistake before be, uh, saying that you raised helped raise hundreds of thousands of dollars. It's actually in the millions, but uh, which is even better than the hundreds of thousands, which is great. <laughs> now, during that time period, you participated in over two hundred media events. Can you talk about one or two of them that uh, might have been the most memorable for you? Absolutely. So I'll never forget my very first year as as the Hyundai Bomb Wheels ambassador. We were in Washington, D.C. for the Hyundai Bomb Wheels D.C. days, uh, where we get to meet with different legislators, talk about different legislation, host an advocacy event on the Hill. Uh, but I also had media interviews to talk about childhood cancer awareness month. And so I woke up at about 3.30 a.m. and went to the national press office with Hyundai Hope on Wheels. And they had a hair and makeup artist ready there to do my hair and makeup. I'd never had that done before, before that time frame. So I felt like quite the celebrity. I was like, this is pretty cool. And then I sat with the uh, CEO of at the time, um, uh, Mr. David, and we sat and we did about 75 media interviews in the span of four hours. And they ran, it was a satellite media tour. So it ranged from news stations in California to podcasts to radio shows. We were doing it all, sharing my story, sharing about Hunteo Bomb Meals and how people could get involved in the cause. And so it was a really long morning, but it was something that was so special. And I love to look back on those media interviews as, you know, 12-year-old Hannah and see what see what I was saying, see what I was talking about and how my message continues to align today. And those opportunities to meet with so many awesome people from throughout the country uh, was such a great, was such a great experience. And I've remained in touch with some of them and it was really cool to be there with Mr. Dave. That sounds great. Now, now you've worked as a tireless advocate on three of the most important legislative acts that have been passed by Congress, uh, including the Star Act, which is uh, really um, probably the most memorable or uh, far-reaching, I guess is a better way to say it, um, the Race for Children's Act and the Gabriella Miller 2.0. I'm not sure if that's still uh, caught up in the legislative protocol, but uh, hopefully, if it is, it'll pass, which is, again, uh, a huge opportunity to uh, advance the cause of pediatric cancer. What were your roles there as an advocate? Um, it was really meeting with the legislators and sharing my story from, from a childhood cancer survivor standpoint, saying we need this to be passed and, and just sharing my why. Um, it first started with advocating for these pieces of legislation um, in twenty. 16 with Hyundai Hope on Meals, me, the legislators, but really the Kids Be Cancer Advocacy Days in Washington, D.C. with um, Kids Be Cancer, Jennifer Flynn is, and Nancy Goodman um, oversee that. And they're just incredible women who have really spearheaded those initiatives. And um, with the advocacy days, we have different teams of childhood cancer advocates, uh, all kids. And we get together the team. We're like, okay, you're going to do this part. You're going to do this part. We're all going to share our stories with the legislator. And so no parents were allowed to walk with us. We would walk by ourselves and we would walk into these legislators' offices for our meeting, share their stories. And I think that it was grassroots efforts that got those pieces of legislation passed. And then when the COVID-19 pandemic happened, uh, 
that's when I think we really unlocked the virtual advocacy side of things. And so we would meet weekly with legislators, talk about different pieces of legislation and share our stories. And we're still doing that today. And so there's a virtual and an in-person component that I think have led to those successes and uh, really passionate advocates calling their legislators demanding change. How difficult or easy was it to speak to these uh, uh, congressional leaders or people in Congress and get them to really understand what this fight is about and how important it is? You know, it can be really difficult even trying to get meetings with them. Sometimes, you know, they're busy schedules. Uh, But I think the most successful component that I saw when it came to sharing my story was explaining to them that this could be their grandchild, their child, their niece, their nephew, giving them a personal connection to it, even if at first they didn't have one, and sharing how it's forever impacted my life and my friends' lives. And I think that when people see this as something that could happen in their life, that's when um, they want to do something about it. And I've built so many awesome relationships with these legislators, one of whom, Congressman Mike Kelly of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. He's become a dear friend and mentor of mine um, because he he sees that. He's like, what if this was my grandchild? What would I want to do? And he's one of those people who want to make a difference, who want to use their position in D.C., um, in their state, to help these kids who are going through something that no child should ever have to go through. Uh, I've always said that pediatric cancer is the most important cause um, out there. And it's great to see uh, someone like Mike Kelly really become passionate um, about the cause itself and not, well, what, what, uh, uh, you know, how am I going to uh, explain this to my constituents when I'm fighting with somebody or whatever, uh, getting the partisanship out of it. And the uh, most important thing is the health of uh, Riley and all these other kids who have been been uh, and yourself uh, years ago uh, who have been so rudely treated by fate, which is the way that I sometimes said. Now, you uh, I'd like you to talk about your advocacy role with the American um, Childhood Cancer Association or ACO. You were hired as a regional advocacy ambassador. You mm-hmm. helped raise $66 million uh, in four separate states, mm-hmm. which is not a pittance of money, by the way. So can you talk about that? For sure. Uh, you know, something that is something that's unique about childhood cancer is that it's so nonpartisan and that people from the left and the right can unite over it. Um, And that's where with American Childhood Cancer Organization and our advocacy in D.C. and in these different states, that's where we've been able to get this bipartisan support. During my senior year of high school, I had to author some sort of senior thesis, and I decided to do it on how legislation is going to be the key in finding a cure for childhood cancer. And when I was doing my research, it ended up being 30 pages long. I found a lot out there, uh, but I found the American Childhood Cancer organization and the work that they were doing in state advocacy, which is something that I never really thought of before that time. Um, And I decided to set up a meeting with ACCO and see, you know, what could I do in Alabama? Um, And they talked about the state action cancer plans that every state is required to have. It's a CDC mandated plan. Um, 
but oftentimes they don't include childhood cancer in their plan. And Alabama was one of those states at the time. So I started working with them on, okay, how can we get childhood cancer added into this plan? How can we start, um, you know, a research fund in this state? How can we make the Alabama Department of Public Health aware about it. And so we set up a meeting with the Department of Public Health and they became on board. They said, yes, we want to start championing this cause with you. And so now childhood cancer is, is included in Alabama's state action cancer plan. Uh, but it was so many meetings like that in other states um, talking about the importance of having it in this plan so families are able to get the resources that they need when their child is diagnosed with cancer. Um, and we've We've now met with every Department of Public Health, every state cancer registry to try to get in every single state action cancer plan. But with ACCO, um, in addition to the state action cancer plans, it's also been working on getting legislation passed in states to actually fund childhood cancer research. Um, I look at Maryland and Pennsylvania, New Jersey and Kentucky. Those are some of the big states that we've worked in um, to create childhood cancer research trust funds within the governor's budget or from, a, you know, a checkoff box when you're getting your driver's license or um, a license plate. There's a lot of different initiatives that you can do to fund this trust fund. Um, but that's made up of a board of people who will determine where the money will go within that state. And so we've been able to raise tens of millions of dollars through it. And I'm really excited for 2023. We have a lot of big plans, a lot of different states that we're working in. Uh, but how it really is all come about is emailing different legislators, asking for a meeting, sharing my story and the initiatives that we have, and also, um, you know, the facts and the successes that we've had in other states and why it needs to be expanded to their state. Um, and I'm I'm really hopeful that one day we're going to have every state action cancer plan include childhood cancer and every state have childhood cancer research funding within their budget because it's so imperative to the future of our of our kids. Well, I think that if you're involved in this decision-making process with these states, uh, there'll be 50 uh, states, not four, that will have it. So uh, it's it's obviously a great thing you're working on. Now, in the beginning of 2019, you and your family started the nonprofit 501c3, which is called Hugs for Childhood Cancer. Can you talk about each, each, what each letter in Hugs stands for and what your nonprofit focuses on? So HUG stands for helping you get stronger and starting a nonprofit was something that my family family and I have always wanted to do. How, you know, how can we make an impact at a local level um, when it came to supporting the families? And so we first started it in the state of Florida. Um, but then when we moved to Alabama, COVID-19 happened. So it was kind of a little bit harder to continue our work, but we focus on legislative awareness, family support, and community awareness. So with legislative awareness, it's you know, meeting with our local legislators, creating a local and state proclamations for Childhood Cancer Awareness Month, going to D.C. and advocating. Um, and then when it comes to community awareness, it's having different community events where people can attend um, or having Go Gold Days at schools where all the kids show up in gold and we go in and talk about why, why Childhood Cancer is important to support. Um, and then with family support, I, I'm actually looking over in my corner right now. I have 
about 300 cards that my friends and I have made that I'm going to send out to different childhood cancer fighters and their siblings um, to, you know, encourage them and show them some love. And then also comic books that we're going to donate to Children's of Alabama this week. And so it's things like that that we like to do um, for family support. And I'm really excited for this year for hugs because I received a grant from the Alabama Department of Public Health for $25,000. And that is, I think, what's really going to, um, you know, take everything that we're doing to the next level to continue to grow, to continue to connect with these kids and these families in the state of Alabama. Um, and it's just such an honor to get to be a part of it and such a humbling experience. Now, in January of 2020, you became a Real Talk brand ambassador. Now, your role there was to travel to schools throughout the country, talk to your peers about what certain substances can do to your, uh, can do to your body and how to handle that potential problem. Were you um, talking about drugs, op- opioids, those, those things, and how were you received uh, at the schools? Yes. So um, Real Talk is an incredible initiative that's headed up by Advanced Recovery Systems, which is based out of Florida. Um, And that opportunity came about when I was serving as Miss Florida's Outstanding Teen 2019 and 2020 through the Miss America organization. And it was something that Miss Florida had always done, but they decided to expand it to the teen level um, after I attended some Real Talk events. And what a Real Talk event is, is I would go into a school and I would give, there would be a video presentation that would hit play on and it would explain the science behind what these substances actually do to your body. And this was in high schools, this was in colleges, this was, um, you know, different places where young people are going to be. Um, And it's really equipping them with the knowledge that they need to make wise decisions. And it's explaining the dangers that are associated with these drugs, with these opioids. It's it's something that is such a big struggle nowadays in young people. And it's so sad to see. I think coming from a peer's perspective, um, I think it was really eye-opening for those students. And I'm really hoping to bring it to Alabama one day. I think it's a message that every student needs to hear. Um, And it's something that that knowledge I've carried with me in my college years to share it with my friends to help them make good decisions. Now, you just mentioned before, uh, which was going to be my next question, that you were selected as Miss Florida's Outstanding Teen in 2019 and 2020, I believe the pandemic that that interrupted that period of time uh, made certain that you were going to be the longest uh, to hold this title. How did this that selection come about? And you've you've made again over 200 appearances uh, uh, with your role. And if you could just um, fill us in on, on maybe some of the more memorable ones uh, in in that genre that you've uh, that you've ac- that that you've accomplished. I first became involved in the Miss America organization back in 2018, and I had never done a pageant before, before then. You know, I grew up speaking. I grew up being involved in community service and dancing, which are elements that are needed to compete in the Miss America organization, but I never really thought about it. Um, And I think I had some preconceived notions there, Uh, but my dad saw in a newspaper, hey, there's a way that you could compete in these sort of competitions and earn scholarship money. And I thought, "Mm, I I think I want to go to college in a few years. That that would be really great to have. 
And so um, I decided to go as an at-large title holder, meaning I didn't compete in a local competition um, that qualifies you to go to Miss Florida's Outstanding Teen. I uh, bought my way in essentially at-large title as Miss Clay County's Outstanding Teen. Um, And my very first year in 2018, I had never done this before. And so I had to, you know, create a competition solo. I had to learn how to interview and make these sort of appearances, things that I never really thought of before. Um, And I wore a $100 evening gown. And I think you can imagine that evening gowns are typically a little bit more expensive than $100. And um, I competed against all these girls who had all this experience. And so I, I doubted myself a lot because I'm like, I don't have all the things that I thought were needed in order to win. And a lot of people told me, Hannah, you're 14 years old. You're you're probably not going to make the top five. There, there's just no way. It's your very first year. But that year, I ended up getting first runner up. So essentially second place. So I proved all the naysayers wrong. And standing there with my friend Jessica and watching her dream come true and win. And, and me just being there like, whoa, how am I in the last few standing? This is crazy. Um, I I think that's what really showed me, okay, I have potential for this. I need to go back and compete uh, the next year. And so I went and won a local competition, Miss Orlando's Outstanding Teen. And the next year in 2019, I won the title of Miss Florida's Outstanding Teen. And I got to go to Miss America's Outstanding Teen, the national competition, and meet 50 of some of my best friends. And I ended up winning the Teens in Action Award, which was the overall community service award for my social impact initiative, um, Hannah's Hope Finding a Cure for Pediatric Cancer, which is really a culmination of my nonprofit work and advocacy work. Um, and during my years, Miss Florida's Outstanding Teen, I got to represent the Miss America organization. I got to speak at different schools, um, you know, really promote childhood cancer advocacy work within the state of Florida. Um, and work on social media to spread awareness about. There were just so many different aspects of the job. And with that, I was able to make over 215 appearances, which is the most amount of appearances that any Miss Florida's Outstanding Teen has ever made, which was my goal going into my year of service. But when the COVID-19 pandemic happened, I got to become the longest reigning uh, because the Miss Florida competition was postponed in 2020. And so I got to serve in the role for two years. Um, And during the COVID-19 pandemic, I had to learn how to be flexible and, and, you know, pivot the different things that I was doing because I could no longer do in-person appearances. And so that's when social media and um, really came about. And I started an interview series called Always and Forever, where I interviewed every former Miss Florida's outstanding team to hear how the Miss Florida program changed their lives and helped them get to where they are today. And so it was things like that, that I just loved about the job of being Miss Florida's Outstanding Teen. And it's really a job that's focused on other people. It's not focused on you or, or what you're accomplishing. I think it's really about being a human connector and seeking to make every single person feel known and loved and seen. Um, it, it was just the most incredible two years of my life. I started as uh, going into my junior year of high school and ended graduating. Um, and so it was really formative in my high school years and where I am today. And I'm just so grateful that I was able to serve as Miss Florida's outstanding team. Well, uh, Florida was also equally as lucky to have you serve as uh, its most outstanding team. Uh, team. Now, CureFest, 
which we've mentioned, uh, which is where I met you. You've been going there for six or seven years. It's the annual pediatric cancer meeting held in Washington, D.C. during Child uh, uh, Cancer Awareness Month, which is in September. Can you talk about CureFest and what that has meant to you? CureFest is my favorite weekend of the year. I first stumbled upon it in 2016 with my family. We were there for Hyundai Hope on Wheels DC days, you know, for childhood cancer. And we had never heard about CurePest before, but we stumbled upon it on the National Mall and decided, okay, we need to attend this next year. And the next year, that's when we met the Ikers and became involved in Gold Together. But my first full weekend of CureFest was in 2018. And what CureFest is, is it's a childhood cancer community event, the largest one in the, I think, the world. Uh, where different advocates and nonprofits come together for a weekend, um, really as a community to work together, to share people's stories, to advocate on Capitol Hill, uh, to support each other's initiatives. Um, And so on the Friday of CureFest, there's a Kids Be Cancer Advocacy Day, among many other events, but that's the one that sticks out to me, where the kids are able to go and talk with the different legislators in their offices. And then on Saturday, there's a rally to Capitol Hill where everyone at CureFest comes together, hundreds of people, um, and we meet at Freedom Plaza and we go from there all the way to Capitol Hill holding signs, chanting, you know, more than four, kids deserve more, um, really getting the D.C. community to become aware of what we're doing, but also so that people on Capitol Hill can hear us and know that we're there and know that we're fighting for change. Um, and I, I love to see the big picture that we always take in Capitol Hill to see everyone, you know, wearing their gold and, and holding their signs. Um, and then later in the day on Saturday, uh, there's different tables that will be set up at Freedom Plaza from the different nonprofits to kind of share with each other what they're doing, uh, provide different support to children who, and families who may be um, battling cancer. And then um, they're, during the evening portion, we'll have different speakers during a program come up and share their stories from researchers to survivors to parents, to siblings. And then we'll also have different music groups and dancers perform. And so this past year, I was able to co-host that portion of it with my friend Grace Weather. And it was so cool to get to do that. I had spoken a couple of different times um, at the evening portion on Saturday night, but to get to co-host it and introduce so many of my dear friends sharing their stories was just such an honor. Um, And so then after that, we hold candles and we honor those who have lost their battles to childhood cancer. And um, that is probably the hardest part of the weekend for me because so many of my friends had passed away from this terrible disease. But I think back and I'm like, I'm so thankful that we're honoring their legacy and honoring their story and, and the change that they made in this world. And that, you know, we're keeping their legacy alive, but Um, It's definitely a really hard part of that day for me. Um, And then on Sunday, that's when we have the big community event where community members come out and they kind of see what we're doing. And so it's a continuation where we have speakers and performers come. Um, And then we also present different beads to kids who, you know, maybe survivors, maybe fighters, maybe siblings, we have different medals for them. Um, So it's really fun 
to get to see everyone uh, that week. And I always say it's a big family reunion because there's so many people that you see year after year, hope to see you there next year uh, that you get to connect with. Um, I've been able to make so many of my best friends there. We have this big group chat where it's like the Cure Fest girl squad, we call it. Uh, and we, we'll text each other different things throughout the year to just share what we're up to and support and love one another. It's really special to have that. It's a tremendous event, and uh, I, I didn't even get to go to uh, to everything that you mentioned. But the ones, the, the things that I did go to, it was it was very, very inspirational. I neglected to ask you this question about your uh, Florida's most outstanding team uh, experience. You gave a lot of appearances, and I am guessing that you mentioned, probably on a lot of them, that you yourself were a childhood cancer survivor. Do you think that you were speaking to people that had cancer at the time, perhaps, uh, and uh, were inspired by seeing someone who was able to beat cancer and uh, have such a successful role uh, in the community? Absolutely. And um, I was the first childhood cancer survivor to win Miss Florida's Outstanding Teen and the first one to compete at Miss America's Outstanding Teen. And I think oftentimes, you know, as a little girl, I I needed young women to look up to who had been through something that I had gone through. And, and I'm lucky that I had some role models like that, but not people that were operating, you know, as Ms. Florida's outstanding teen in, in the public eye. And so when I was able to go into these hospitals and speak with these kids, um, as Ms. Florida's outstanding team, but also as a child of cancer survivor, I think that they were just able to see that and be like, wow, I, I can be that too. I can pursue any dream that I want to do. I'm not going to let uh, this diagnosis define me. Um, and that's my message when, you know, meeting different people. I'm like, you can't let this one, th- this one diagnosis define you. You can, you're capable of so many amazing things, whether it's advocating, whether it's dancing, whether it's, you know, a sport, don't let that stop you. And all the childhood cancer fighters, they never do. They never let that stop them. They continue to push and they continue to fight. And they're some of the most positive people that I've ever met. Um, and, and I think having that opportunity to share my story as a childhood cancer survivor first and then Miss Florida's outstanding team second. Uh, that was just such an imperative moment for the Miss America organization and for myself. You are now a sophomore, as I'd mentioned early in the podcast at the University of Alabama. This will surprise no one in that you were a double major mm-hmm. uh, in uh, political science and in communication. Can you talk about your college life and the many organizations that you were involved with there? Uh, you know, University of Alabama keeps me busy as a student there. First and foremost, with my academics, uh, I, I decided to double major in political science and public relations because I love communicating with people, but I also love politics. And I think that stems from my time of advocacy and seeing, you know, how one voice can make a difference. And so I hope to work in politics one day, uh, join the legislators in DC and really be a voice for different uh, 
causes, especially with childhood cancer uh, in the office that I hope to work in. Uh, But as a student at UA, I'm involved in a lot of different things. I'm a proud member of my sorority, Alpha Gamma Delta, and I serve as the director of involvement. So it's really connecting members with different resources on getting involved in UA um, and, you know, helping them catapult them into their future career after college. Uh, But I also am super involved in the Student Government Association. I serve as the director of programming under the vice president of student affairs. And with that role, um, I've been able to coordinate a couple of really significant events at UA. One of them was called High Tide Day, which happened during the first week of school um, as a week of welcome event. And what we did there, our student body is about 38,000 students. And so to make it feel a little bit smaller, we handed out name tags that people would wear um, that day. So then people could be greeted by name, even if you didn't know them. Uh, But we also handed out a thousand T-shirts that were generously donated by a couple of different um, campus partners, had Rita's Ice out there, had Big Al, our mascot, the president of the university. It was a really big event. People would wait hours to get um, the t-shirts from that event. And so that was a great way to kick off uh, the first week of school of my sophomore year. Um, But in addition to all those things, I'm super involved in campus ministries called Campus Outreach and RUF. I get to help lead Bible studies, have amazing mentors uh, that pour into me and my faith. Um, It's been such a great place of community there to grow in my faith um, and walk alongside people doing the same. Uh, But those are just a few of the things I'm involved in at the University of Alabama. It's my favorite place. I love the friends that I've been able to make there and the opportunities that have come about. I'm just so grateful that I get to attend there. And a big reason why I was first interested in the University of Alabama is because of the Miss America organization with winning Miss Florida's Outstanding Teen. I want a full ride to the University of Alabama among thousands of dollars of cash scholarship. And so those scholarships um, are what led me to the university. Did anybody ever tell you that there are 24 hours in a day and that's it? Um, because <laughs> my mom. <laughs> <laughs> and my question is in, in college and in high school, were you, Obviously, you were able to probably easily keep up with your academics, but did you ever have more than 20 minutes a day to study? You know, so when I was traveling with Hyundai Hope on wheels, you'll think this story is funny. We were, uh, so during September of 2017, I think I was home for like four days in total. So I was living on an airplane and in the car, you know going to these different hospitals and different events. And so I'll never forget, I was on the airplane doing Latin homework during my freshman year of high school, just trying to hit submit. Uh, But school has been something that I've always been really passionate about. I'm a self-proclaimed nerd. I love school. Um, And so I I definitely try to balance my time with my involvement to my studies and, you know, making sure that I end with all A's and continue to pursue academic excellence, but it's definitely a balancing act. It's it's sometimes hard to do, but I try to find those 20 minutes at least to get some school done. <laughs> well, I'm glad, I'm surprised you have the 20 minutes. Now in 2022, you competed in the Miss Alabama scholarship competition through the Miss America organization. You were a top 12 semifinalist and overall Evening Gown Red Carpet Award winner and the Catherine Crosby, who I believe was Miss Alabama in 2004. Um, 
you won uh, the Community Service Award uh, winner uh, named after Catherine Crosby. Are you excited about entering the competition this coming year? I'm so ready. Uh, you know, competing my very first year at Miss Alabama and, and getting all those accolades was so amazing and, um, you know, did everything that I wanted to do. But I'm really excited for this next year. I think I've grown a lot as a person, matured a lot, and I have a clear vision for what I want to do if I was given the honor to serve as Miss Alabama. And it, it's really a job that would be a megaphone for the child of cancer my child of cancer advocacy work, the kids that I work with, uh, but also being able to just connect with people throughout the state of Alabama and getting to represent the place that I love and I call home. Uh, you know, serving as Miss Florida's Outstanding Teen, I think has really prepared me for the job of Miss Alabama because I know what it's like to serve as a state title holder. Uh, and so my family and I, we moved to Birmingham, Alabama about three and a half years ago during my time as Miss Florida's Outstanding Teen for my dad's job. And so this state has really become home to me. It's where I've found community. It's where I've gone to school. And so it would be the greatest honor of my life to serve as Miss Alabama and get to compete for Miss America and represent this state. Now, when you talk about Birmingham, uh, it's the third largest city in Alabama in which uh, the population is around 200,000. You happen to be Miss Birmingham, which you've neglected to tell us. To you know, it's such a prestigious award. What standards were you judged on? I mean, were there specifics that you had to uh, compete in as as any other competition? There are, and these are the same standards for the Miss Alabama competition. So I had a 10-minute private interview with the panel of five judges where they can ask you, you know, about your social impact initiative. They can ask you why you would like to win. They can ask about your talent, but they can also ask super political current event questions. So you really have to be prepared for anything and everything for the interview portion. And I think it's such a unique opportunity to get to talk face-to-face -face with them and for them to get to know you before you go on stage. Um, and then after the private interview on the state on the for the on stage competition where there's an audience, uh, you have a 30 second social impact initiative pitch where it's kind of like a TED talk style. So I had to share, you know, my story as a child of cancer survivor, share why child of cancer is important to the audience and how they can get involved in the cause. And then you have an onstage question that's a continuation of your interview. And so uh, the question that's asked is the next question that would have been asked in your interview um, if the 10 minutes time had to um, run out. And so it's a great opportunity to, you know, share your knowledge of different topics with the audience. And then after that, uh, with something that really sets the Miss America organization apart is that you have a 90 second talent presentation. And so I do a contemporary on point dance to River Deep Mountain High by Celine Dion. It's super fun and high energy. Um, and then after that, there's the red carpet portion where you get to walk out in an elegant evening gown and, you know, show off your personal style. So it's really, really fun to get to do all those things. I think something that a lot of people don't realize and see is the preparation that goes in to uh, getting to that point. You know, I practice my talent every single day. I listen to the news every morning, I practice different interview questions and have conversations with people while also serving as Miss Birmingham, which is a full-time job and trying to find different events that I can attend and local community partners that I can work with and schools to visit. Um, and so it's a really, really big responsibility and, and something that I don't take lightly because, uh, you know, Miss Alabama, that 
that's one of my ultimate goals. And so I work every single day inside of that. Uh, my prediction is you will accomplish that goal. I'd like to ask you about your parents. Now, you've done so many extraordinary things, and you must have had quite a foundation that they built for you. Can you talk about you know, what they have meant to you in this journey? Because it really is an extraordinary one. I would not be who or where I am today without my parents. Uh, They are my best friends. I'm really, really close with them and really my entire family. I'm the oldest of four kids and I grew up being homeschooled. And so I was with them every single day, all day. And I think that that really contributes to the deep relationships that I have with each of them. Uh, But my parents have always supported me in everything that I do. Uh, You know, going through childhood cancer at such a young age, I don't remember it all, but they do. And they had to walk through every single hard moment uh, together. And childhood cancer truly changed our family unit structure during that time. Uh, my little sister couldn't go to the hospital with me all the time. And, you know, my dad had to continue to work. And so it was really a difficult time for my family, but I think it made us closer than ever. And, uh, and, and so from that, you know, with dance, with competing in the Miss America organization, with child of cancer advocacy, we're a united front. We want to support one another. And, and my parents have always told me, you know, Hannah, never shy away from your ambitions. Uh, no matter how big I dream, I know that they're always going to be there to support me. And I'm really grateful to have that. And um, there are people that will drive me hours and hours to go to an event who will say, you want to go to DC? Yeah, let's do it. Um, they're always up for up for an adventure. And I'm really, really grateful for every opportunity that I've gotten uh, with them because of them. And it, it's just such a blessing to have that sort of relationship with my parents who you know, just want me to continue to do everything that I'm doing and, and be there for me and do it alongside of me. It's really a it's really a family affair, all the work that we do. What has given back uh, to so many people uh, meant to you? It's a really, really humbling experience to know that you have the opportunity to impact somebody's life. And you know, my goal, it's it's not about what I'm doing. It's about how I can serve other people and love them. And so giving back to them, whether it's sending a sweet note or sharing my story or uh, just, you know, being a friendly face there, welcoming somebody into an event. It's really about how can you make the other person feel loved and feel like they can get through this really, really difficult time. And I think back on my personal journey with childhood cancer and all the experiences that have come from it and the people that were there to cheer me on and support me. And now I want to be that person for somebody else. It's an incredibly great message. There's a final question. If the um, fate had not uh, intervened when you were five and a half years old, uh, giving you a cancer battle of Wilms tumor, probably would not have had any type of knowledge of pediatric cancer, but you, you, you being you, you would have been involved in something. Do you think, is there anything that you, if someone asked you the question, what else might you have become involved with? Is there anything that sort of say, yeah, I would have done that. 
I love that you brought that up. I, I think back on that often. I'm like, I don't know where I would be without my cancer journey. And that makes me so grateful for it. Even though it was a really difficult thing, I'm so thankful that it happened because I've been able to help so many people because of it. Uh, something that I'm really passionate about is uh, female empowerment in having young women know their value and their worth uh, and, you know, fighting for gender equality internationally from an international standpoint. I think that's my political background coming out. Uh, But that's a cause that I'm really passionate about that, uh, you know, I do work with even now with the Miss America organization, working with young women and and mentoring them. So I think I would have probably focused on that, been involved. uh, But I don't think I would do everything that I'm doing now had it not been for childhood cancer. Where can people get in touch with you? There's so much more actually that I haven't even chance to ask you uh, that, that, that you've done with your life. It's a fascinating life and I'm sure people would like to learn more about you. Thank you so much. You can visit my personal website, hannahleeadams.com. You can find me on Instagram at hannah.adams06 and at Miss Birmingham 2023. I'm on Facebook as Hannah Adams. I'm on TikTok. If if you have a TikTok, check me out at hannah.adams7. I love to connect with people and talk about anything that you're going through. So please reach out to me. I'm here for you and excited to connect. As we come to the end of this podcast, um, you know, uh, it, it, it's hard to kind of wrap everything up because there's so many wonderful things you've done. Thank you so much for taking the time. I mean, I don't know how you had had an hour free, frankly, for me. Uh, that must have been a bit difficult. Maybe today's the one with the 25 hours. I'm not sure. But uh, it, it was such a pleasure to speak with you, to hear about everything, you great things that you're doing. And uh, I want to wish you 2023 sounds like it's going to be a great year for you, one of many great years that are ahead of you. And I want to uh, thank you once again and wish you the best of luck. Thank you so much, Mr. Mark. Thank you so much for having me and everything that you do within the childhood cancer community. It's so inspiring. It, and I'm so thankful that we were able to meet at CureFest and that we got to do this. It was such an honor. Thank you very much. Have a great day. You too. As you heard during the podcast, I did question Hannah on whether she was aware that there were actually only 24 hours in each day. With everything that she has done already, it boggles the mind that she has done so much in so little time and is on a direct path to accomplishing many more amazing things in her still very young life. And that doing whatever is possible for these kids diagnosed with pediatric cancer will play a major part in whatever path Hannah ultimately takes. This is Mark Levine, and please tune in on Monday when I will speak with Dr. Elaine Ostrander, who was a recent guest on 60 Minutes with Anderson Cooper. Dr. Ostrander will talk about the similarities in cancer between humans and canines. She has been examining these similarities for the past 18 years at the National Institute of Health, and Dr. Ostrander will give us a tutorial on this phenomenon.